Welcome to Living Proof, the podcast series of the University at Buffalo School of Social Work at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu. We're glad you could join us today. The series Living Proof examines social work research and practice that makes a difference in people's lives. I'm your host, Peter Sabota. Thanks for downloading more than 300,000 of our podcasts. We'd love it if you took a minute to tell us what you like or don't like about them and what you'd like to see us do next. If you're an educator and you are using our podcasts in your courses, please let us know how. I know some of you are, as I've seen them on course syllabi out there. So let us know. Go to our website at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu forward slash podcasts and click the Contact Us button. We'd be thrilled to hear from you. Bright blue skies, variations of light due to different angles from the sun, and a cooling sense of the changes to come. I can't begin to tell you what living on one of the Great Lakes looks like in a western New York fall. In this episode, our guests John Brecky, Anthony Fulginetti, and Rohini Pawa discuss their research into a peer health navigator intervention to improve the health of people with serious mental illness. Citing disturbing mortality rates among their target population, our guests discuss their response to the realization that the SMI population dies more often from diseases that are both preventable and treatable. Our guests describe their peer navigator intervention, a comprehensive engagement and self-management approach that reflects a for them, with them, and by them spirit to the health care of persons with serious mental illness. Our guests outline the unique aspects of their intervention, the findings of their most recent clinical trial, the role of, quote, doctors with a heart in the success of this approach, as well as the benefits for the peer navigators themselves. John Brecky, PhD, is Professor and Associate Dean of Research and Francis Larkin Professor of Social Work at the University of Southern California School of Social Work. Rohini Pawa, MA, MSW, is a PhD candidate, and Anthony Fulginetti, MSW, is a PhD student, both at the USC School of Social Work. Our guests were interviewed by telephone by Tony Guzman, Director of Online Programs, and I might add, a member of our podcast team here at the University at Buffalo School of Social Work. Hello, I'm Tony Guzman, Director of Online Programs at the University at Buffalo School of Social Work. Here with me to talk about reducing health disparities for people with serious mental illness, a peer health navigation intervention, is Dr. John Brecky, Anthony Fulginetti, MSW and PhD student, and Rohini Pawa, MSW and PhD candidate from the USC School of Social Work. Thank you very much for joining us here today. As I read through the manuscript that you sent me, I've got to say that one of the first sobering facts that hit me was the fact that people living with serious mental illness in the U.S. die on average 25 years earlier than the general population. And that just hits straight at the heart, if you will, for anybody in social work. So I was wondering, with that and with your research, could you give me a bit of a, in a nutshell, what your research is about? That's a nice introduction to this whole area because that's where our concern began was around mortality rates 
for the seriously mentally ill. And it, it's not just that they're dying 25 years earlier, it's they're dying from things, from diseases and disorders that are most generally preventable, treatable, for which there are known treatments that can be effective. So that's the second part of this. The third part of this is that we have a population of people who have lost their connection with the healthcare system in many cases. So our intervention is designed to help them re-engage with the healthcare system. This is Anthony Folgenetti. And when we think about it, when we think about these preventive medical conditions, we're thinking about things that I think what most people would cast off as very normal conditions that most people, they themselves have suffered from, or things that maybe a relative they know might have suffered from, things like diabetes, high cholesterol, cardiovascular problems. And I think something that is life-threatening, particularly when treatment is delayed, is something like cancer diagnosis. And this really translates into that shocking statistic that you mentioned earlier and the fact that the mortality rates are two to three times that of the general population. Could you summarize what exactly is the peer health navigation intervention that uh, you have modeled here? Well, we've started to describe it as a comprehensive healthcare engagement and self-management intervention. And if we break those terms down, the reason we call it comprehensive is because we're trying to link people with preventive care, primary care, and specialty medical care. It involves healthcare engagement because many of our people with serious mental illness have had either such adversive experiences with the healthcare system that they stop going, or when they do go, they go to emergency rooms or urgent care clinics to receive routine care. And so we're trying to re-engage them with the primary care system in an efficient and productive way. And the last thing in terms of self-management is that we're trying to teach people skills to manage their own health care. And we do that in a particular way that we might talk a bit about later. But those are the key ingredients in terms of engagement with the healthcare system, self-management, and being comprehensive. And I think I would like to reiterate the self-management part of it. And that's the whole biggest goal of this intervention, is to teach people who have mental illness, help them in gaining confidence, skills, and tools to learn strategies to navigate this very complicated system eventually on their own. There was one phrase that caught my attention within your research, the for them, with them, and by them, so that it seemed as if the peer was there at the first steps, coaching them by doing it for them and modeling how to behave in certain situations, then doing it with them so that they're there alongside them, if you will, almost as a guide on the side, and then by them, in other words, for the patient themselves with serious mental illness, actually doing it on their own and really getting to that self-care, which seems so key to your intervention. You're absolutely right. And I think you've actually caught the main backbone behind this entire intervention. That's exactly it. So the peer navigator exactly teaches them how to navigate the system, then is with them while they try and do it on their own, and then eventually takes a step back when they do it on their own and is a resource that they can always fall back upon, but are doing majority of the work on their own. Right. So one of the things we tried to do was take fairly cognitive behavioral terms 
like modeling, coaching, and fading and turn them into terms and ideas that peers and paraprofessionals could relate to well. When you say modeling, coaching, and fading to a mental health professional, many professionals won't understand what that means. But it translates into for them, with them, by them. And that seems to be a rubric or a lexicon that people, both peers and paraprofessionals and professionals, relate to very well. And so outside of that, what are other unique aspects of this intervention? One of the first is that we are training peers. We want people that have lived experience with mental illness to be the health navigators. And we found that this has some really nice features for people with serious mental illness. That's one unique aspect of this. Although we have trained paraprofessionals and professionals in this intervention, so that's one very unique aspect of it. There are some other healthcare models around that train people in specific disease models, like how to care for diabetes, how to care for high cholesterol, or how to care for cardiac problems. But we use a more generic approach of connecting people with the healthcare system. And I would figure that that peer assistance actually because they've experienced it themselves, it really allows them to tie nicely with the patient that's suffering from the serious mental illness. And so they kind of almost have a trust bond relatively early on in the process, I would suspect. Wouldn't that be true? Definitely. This is Anthony again. Once again, I entirely agree with that. I think most of the times people have that sense of having walked in the shoes of the people that they're helping. And I think it really does, just from informal reports and conversations with peers and individuals with serious mental illness, that there is sort of rapport that is developed very early on and I think really does help facilitate the process. And I think that speaks to another very unique aspect of this intervention is that when we started developing this from almost like a drawing board, so the process behind this was very thorough and actually very enlightening. So we went and talked to a lot of service providers, both at the physical health side and the mental health side. We interviewed a lot of administrators. We interviewed a lot of public health nurses. We interviewed a lot of psychiatric nurses. We had focus group with the consumers. So we got information from multiple sources before we actually got down to what this intervention should look like. So we tried to build the intervention based on the experiences of a number of stakeholders and consumers in both healthcare and mental health care system. What have you seen as some of the benefits of the intervention itself? We just finished a very small randomized clinical trial of the intervention. By very small, I mean 24 people that we randomized to receive either immediate health navigation or on a wait list who then received health navigation six months later. So we randomized these 24 people to those two conditions, immediate health care navigation or a six-month delayed health care navigation. And we've just been analyzing those results and we're finding some very nice things that in terms of the locus of care, when people express their preference for where they'd like to get health care, we see a significant move away from using the emergency room and two, using outpatient primary care. So one of the goals of this intervention is to move people into the primary health care system 
and away from the emergency and urgent care system. Many folks with serious mental illness don't have a connection to a primary care provider. So when they are really sick, they will go to the emergency room or to an urgent care clinic for situations that can be far better handled by a primary care physician in an outpatient setting. So that's one of the outcomes we're seeing here. We're actually seeing an increase in the number of outpatient care visits in our treatment group. And we're also seeing some nice changes in their health status. So their total number of self-reported health problems go down, as well as the bodily pain associated with health conditions is going down in our treated group compared to our untreated group. So we're seeing some nice outcomes in terms of the locus of care, where they're getting care, improvements in their self-reported health status and in the number of problems they're having, and also interesting improvements in the kind of prescribed medications they're getting from their doctors. So we've been very encouraged by those findings from this small randomized trial. And I think I'd also like to add, along with these numbers, we also saw some stories, some anecdotal changes that we saw while we were doing this intervention. So we could see changes in specific individuals. So for example, there was this one individual who was working with one of our navigators who had a problem with his foot and it was so bad that so he would go to the ER with a problem with the foot and then the doctors would prescribe a medication but then the person would never go back. So the problem had escalated so much that the doctors were recommending amputation. But then the navigator came into the picture helped the person not only receive services, got them connected to a primary care provider, made sure that the person went in for a follow-up, got specific shoe that he needed, and actually was able to save the foot. We have so many examples like that. And I was thinking that it's an excellent illustration of what happens when people don't have an opportunity to have the continuity of care associated with primary care physician, because I think emergency room visits are, they do serve a purpose. It's just not usually in preventive care. You're seeing these discrete episodes where people come to the emergency room and they're stabilized, which I think in many ways is what we look to an emergency room to do. And then they're transitioned back into the community. But without appropriate follow-up, it really ceases to be preventive care and you start having recurrences of things that I think oftentimes can be targeted and resolved in advance before they develop into these serious medical conditions. Yep, and, and the only other thing I'd like to add to those great examples is that this individual that was about to lose his foot, it was really a failure both of engaging him with a physician that can follow his case over time but also it was a failure of follow-up care and treatment adherence. And so one of the skills that the navigator taught this individual was to understand and create a very simple system for him to be able to follow doctor's instructions for how to care for himself. And so the health navigator came up with some very concrete and practical ways to help this individual learn how to actively participate in their own follow-up care. Now, as I read through your research, one thing that also stood out to me, and I was not cognizant beforehand, was the fact that some of the difficulties and where this intervention model seems to really help is the fact that because primary care services are usually under managed care, 
and for serious mental illness that's on a whole separate pay scale if you will or different in terms of insurance and coverage so it just creates a whole mess it seems for when somebody needs to get treated and if they were going to the primary care so it almost seems as if your model also helps be able to learn how to navigate through the actual just insurance and payment and to be able to cover the medical care. Is that correct? We were told early on that the only way an intervention like this would work is if we could find what the public health nurses call doctors with a heart. And what that means is two things. One is that they will take Medicaid because certain doctors won't even take Medicaid patients. And two, we had to find doctors who were open to working with the seriously mentally ill with a health navigator. And what we found is that a lot of those incredibly complicated system problems get handled when you've got a health navigator who's able to help both a doctor and a patient learn how to communicate, teach the patient how to communicate, and help with some of these complicated system issues that arise. Another question on a separate topic in terms of who you've actually have right now in your study, age group wise, are they all adults? Do you have a mix of adults and teenagers and or youth? What's the population ages? Right now we've done it predominantly with adults in our current research. In fact, everyone that's in the randomized trial we did, I think the age range is... Um, 47. That's the average age is 47. Right. And that probably, that ranges from about 38 to 55. So we are dealing in this first study with adults. And we have a pretty ethnically diverse sample, so it's predominantly minority groups actually. So we're doing it at a public mental health agency, which serves the greater Los Angeles area. The other piece of that is that all of our folks are living on SSI, which really puts them into a poverty category. And they're all dealing with a serious mental illness and they tend to be in service programs that are for the lowest functioning clients. So we're dealing with a very, very challenging population in that regard. It just makes me wonder, being where we are right now and very close to the elections, with the Affordability Care Act, how does that interact or delve into your study? Does it have any relationship? Well, I'll tell you one thing that could have a really nice impact on the overall health of the seriously mentally ill would be the expansion of the federally qualified health care clinics, FQHCs. These are safety net clinics that are getting special attention as medical homes for people with disabilities, whether those are physical or mental and who are also on SSI or SSDI. So these clinics have a feature within the Affordable Care Act that could be very helpful to this population. Excellent. And then what feedback or responses have you gotten from the navigators and the participants in your study? Actually, we just finished interviewing five of our peer health navigators. We've trained both peers and paraprofessionals. 
but we just got through interviewing five of them and asked them questions about how this helped them in their personal lives, whether they liked it as a job. And the health navigators take tremendous personal exuberance. They feel very strongly that they're committing to the health of their consumers. And they see this as a way of gaining greater self-esteem, greater job satisfaction. So those interviews were really quite positive. And I think even from the people we navigated, it was amazing. Just the human element to it can encourage a lot of people. So after we're done with the pre-post interviews, we actually sat with a lot of people and talked about all they have accomplished. And they were amazed at the number of things they've done and how far they have come. A lot of people have not just made changes to their physical health care and the amount of services they can now go and get from a doctor, but even in terms of their own personal life. We saw one person who was actually with a serious mental illness also having some very serious comorbid health concerns, very serious hygiene issues, was actually after a year or so when we later met with him, seemed like a changed man. He was dressed well, clean, showered, and was actually talking about how he now has a girlfriend. So it's not just these numbers, it's the actual change in people's lives that we are seeing. Couldn't agree more. And I think that most times when you think of something that might be designated as a health care or health management type of an intervention, people mostly tend to expect that you're going to see outcomes restricted within the range of healthcare outcomes. And I think while, of course, that's the goal, oftentimes you see these changes really diffuse throughout the individual's life where you see things like relationship changing or mental health changing. And I think when we start thinking of sort of that intersection between the mind and the body, it can go both ways. And I think that by really targeting something like healthcare, you can see those changes in other areas of life. So then what do you see as the future direction of this intervention model? Well, we're doing two things right now. Obviously, we had a very small randomized trial of this model. And we are now looking to take that to scale and have a much larger randomized trial of its effectiveness, hoping to get somewhere between 100 and 140 people in a study that will allow us to have a much more rigorous test of its effectiveness. So that's one thing. The second thing is we were just funded to do another project. One of the things that we all learned here was that we can train health navigators, we can train peers to be health navigators, but agencies have to be prepared to accept this and integrate and infuse this intervention. So in addition to doing a larger randomized trial, we're also now engaged a few agencies to help us develop a manual for agencies to use to prepare them to implement and sustain this intervention. Because we can train a lot of health navigators and they can show up at an agency and if that agency is not ready for this intervention, it's not likely to succeed, even if people are trained very well. So that's another frontier that we're tackling. And a third is getting training protocols together. We've been doing a fair amount of training of peers and paraprofessionals in this intervention. So we're trying to prepare a training manual as well. So those are three ways that we're pushing this forward. The only other thing I'd mention is that we've seen that the primary care providers themselves really like having a health navigator involved. 
and they've been very receptive to our health navigators and we see our providers engaging with our clients in a very different way once a health navigator gets involved and once the client themselves begins to build their skills in how to be in essence a better participant in their own health care we see that the doctors get more engaged and less frightened and more willing to work with our population. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you all. This has been really an enjoyable time to be able to discuss this issue. It is, no pun intended, a very serious matter. It's just been a pleasure to have this opportunity to speak with all three of you. Thank, thank you, you so much. much. Thanks for the time. You've been listening to John Brecky, Anthony Folgenetti, and Rohini Pawa discuss peer health navigator intervention on living proof. Hi, I'm Nancy Smith, professor and dean at the University at Buffalo School of Social Work. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about who we are, our history, our programs, and what we do, we invite you to visit our website at www.socialwork.com. .buffalo.edu. At UB, we are living proof that social work makes a difference in people's lives.